Welcome to the Ridge Community Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and find us online at theridgecc.com. At our website, you can catch up with everything that's happening at The Ridge, watch previous messages, and learn more about who we are. If you want to watch services live, you can catch them every Sunday via our online community at live.theridgecc.com. We hope this message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Have you ever tried to do something or wanted to do something, but to do so, it just felt so overwhelming to you? Uh, my wife and I, we always wanted to adopt, and uh, we finally got to this place where, you know, we, we were ready to. And uh, it was just really overwhelming to us, but we were just so excited at the fact that, that God somewhere in the world had a, a child that was looking for a home that he had prepared just for us. And so we're like, okay, we're, we're going to do this, but we're like, okay. How do you do this? And so the only thing that we could figure out to do was to go talk to some people that, that we knew that had adopted or, uh, or were familiar with the adoption process. And so we start sitting down with people and every person we sit down with, they just start drilling us with about a thousand questions. And it was like, do you want to adopt locally or internationally? And if you're going to adopt locally, do you want to be a closed adoption? Do you want to be an open adoption? Uh, what agency do you want to use? And then they were like, okay, well, if you want to go international, which country do you want to adopt from? And then every country, they had their own system for adoption. And so we're just like, man, I, it was just so wrong. Can we do this? And so we decided to start locally. And we started to call all these agencies and try to figure out which one would, would be for us. And we didn't even really know what that meant, you know. And so uh, we were calling and calling. And then we locked into this one agency and we set up this meeting. And this meeting is a really important meeting. It's like you're going to go to this meeting and then they're going to interview us to basically see if we were qualified to be parents. So it's like a big deal, you know. And so we have this meeting set up and we get to this, uh, the, the office of the agency and, uh, you know, we pull in and then uh, we, we go into this room. It's just like a really small room and there's this lady in there and we sit down and I thought it was going to be an interview, but it wasn't an interview. Uh, she talked for 45 minutes nonstop. And not only did she talk for 45 minutes nonstop, uh, she had one of those just monotone, soothing voices. And uh, it was just right after lunch and I had eaten a really big lunch. All right. And, uh, and so I'm just, I'm getting really sleepy during this whole thing, you know? And so my eyes are getting heavy. You know, you've ever had that happen before? I know you have, you've had it in church before. I've seen you before, the lights are on. <laughs> And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're fighting it and I'm fighting it, man. I'm trying everything I can. I'm fighting and fighting. Well, eventually I lost the fight and I fell asleep right there during our interview. Not surprising to my wife, Donna, this agency did not call us back. And so as a result, we decided to go the international route. Well, after two years of tons of conversation and prayer and interviews with, with government agencies, filling out government paperwork, home studies, standing before magistrates. We were very grateful that we pushed through that feeling of being overwhelmed. And God blessed us not with one, but three kids that we were able to adopt. Here's a picture of us long ago uh, that we were able to adopt. Yeah, you're like, man, Mark, you're old. I know, I get it. Well, here's the thing I know about most, if not all of you. You want to make a difference. You want to help those in need. 
Because you see and hear all those needs around you, but then as you hear and see all those needs around you, and I just want you to think about that for a minute. I just want you to think locally for a minute. I mean, you hear and see needs. It's like, okay, uh, people need food, they need clothing. You got homelessness is on the rise. You got drug use is on the rise. And that's just locally, but then you think internationally. And internationally, it's like, you know, uh, there's wars going on. There's extreme poverty. There's sex trafficking amongst other things. And it's like, we hear those needs, and it's just like, man, there's so many of them. We feel so overwhelmed. It's like, well, what difference can I really make? Well, today we are in week two of our annual Live Big series, where if you're new with us, Live Big is where we take a season and we challenge our entire church to a season of extreme generosity. And all of it goes to help those in need. In other words, we try to make the biggest difference that we can as a church. And there are three components that make up the journey that we call Live Big. There's the give piece, and the serve piece and the love piece. And uh, last week, if you weren't here, we kicked it off with the give piece. And we talk about give, we talk about give financially and then 100% of it is given away to a wish list that helps those in need. And last week as I kicked it off, we talked about this whole idea. How can we impress God? And we learned last week that God's not impressed with a bunch of religious activities that, that we can do. What God's impressed with is he wants us to prioritize what he prioritizes. And one of the things that God prioritizes is people in need. And so if, if you're a Jesus follower, our calling is to give our lives away to help those in need. And when we prioritize what God prioritizes, when we begin to really step into that realm, we discover that God will begin to show up in our lives in ways that we, we never thought he would. Now, last week as we kicked it off, I, I cast the vision for Live Big this year, and I said, hey, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to raise the challenge bar, and we're going we're gonna to be bigger and bolder than we ever were before because the needs are bigger than, I, than, I've, than since we've ever done Live Big before. And so what I said last week is when we start off the give piece, I said, I, I want everyone to get into a posture of, okay, God, what is it that you would like me to do? What is it that you would like our family to do to sacrificially give to the people that God prioritizes. And we just kind of left it open. And uh, we started with the give thing and uh, people started giving last week. And here's the thing with, with the give, you can give all the way through this series. You can go on the Live Big website and one of the ways to do that, uh, theridgecc.com forward slash live big. And once 100% of it is given away. Now next week is gonna be really cool. I'm actually gonna interview two people that will make this very personal for us. And uh, we're gonna do something that we haven't done before as a church that I actually, I haven't done, uh, taking a little bit of a risk. I think it's gonna be a worthwhile risk. And so you wanna come back next week. But today, here's what I wanna do. Today, I wanna give you a principle that has been very, very helpful for me. If you've ever wrestled with that tension of, of hey, I wanna make a difference, but the needs seem so great. I mean, what does it really matter what I do anyways? This principle, will help you respond in a very, very different way because it, it'll deal with that feeling of being overwhelmed and it'll free you up to make a difference. Now, one of the places we see this principle play out is in a parable that Jesus told, and it's honestly, it's his most popular parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, even if you're not a Jesus follower, you've probably heard this before because you've used the phrase. You know, someone got into a car accident and uh, someone pulled over on the side to help them out. And, and what did we say about them? We said, oh yeah, hey, they were a good Samaritan. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the entire parable. Here's where it all starts though. It says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit 
eternal life. Now, we wouldn't say it that way. We might say, hey, what must I do to get right with God? Or what must I do to go to heaven someday uh, when I pass? Now, an expert, in the, uh, an expert in the law meant that they were a lawyer. And one of the things that a good lawyer would do is he would never ask a question that he didn't know the answer to. Otherwise, he would look foolish. So this lawyer, he means business. Oh, Thursday night didn't get that either. Ruby and Abraham, Ruby and you gonna get the commercial? If I would have said one call, that's all you would get it, but no one's watching the Ruby Abraham commercial. All right, okay, no more lawyer jokes, I guess. Now, here's the thing. He's not asking because he's curious. He's asking because he wants Jesus to answer, and he's hoping that Jesus will say something that'll discredit him or expose him as a fraud. So Jesus says, we're gonna see through this whole exchange, and I, I think this is like a blueprint for us if you've ever been in a tough decision before, a tough conversation. Jesus is brilliant through this whole thing. And one of the things that he does is that he answers questions with a question. And he does that here. Here's what he says. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, he says, you're a lawyer. You're an expert. Hey, you tell me, what do you think? And then the, this guy, this lawyer, he answers. And what he answers with is very, very clever. Here's what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And so he quotes a very popular passage from the book of Deuteronomy chapter six. This passage was known as the Shema. And every Jewish boy and girl, they, they said this passage, they memorized this passage because they recited it every single day. This passage was foundational for what it meant to fully love God. But then he's not done and he says this, he says, and Love your neighbor as yourself. And so this guy must have been listening to Jesus' podcast because every time Jesus taught on the idea of loving God, he always attached this passage in Leviticus 19 about loving your neighbor as yourself. And so this lawyer, he gives the exact same answer that Jesus gave, very, very clever. And then here's what Jesus says. He says, yeah, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. In other words, you're good. You nailed it. Now, this lawyer, if he was smart, he just would have been question or uh, conversation done and he would have walked away all good. But, but he wanted to justify himself. <laughs> you ever been in the conversation where, uh, you know, you're kind of in this conversation and maybe it gets a little heated, you know, and you're in this conversation and then it gets to this point in the conversation. Here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, you're thinking this, you're going, you know what? Just don't say anything. Just keep your mouth shut, zip it, you know, just whole thing, just be quiet, don't respond, don't react or anything like that. But you just, you can't help it. You say something and as a result, it opens up a can of worms and it doesn't end well for you. Some of you are like, yeah, about 10 minutes ago, man, before service we did and we're gonna continue it after service as far as that concern. Yeah, and here's the thing, why just couldn't we? I mean, we've all done this, okay? Why couldn't we? Just keep our mouth shut. Well, there's a lot of reasons. I think some of the main reasons are, you know, we wanted to be heard. We wanted to be right. We wanted to be believed. We wanted to be, we wanted to rationalize something in our mind in some way. Well, I think this lawyer, the reason why he can't, and he just keeps talking, I think it's kind of a mix of all of these things. And then he says, okay, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, the, the word neighbor means one who is close. 
And since this command had been given hundreds of years prior for this, over time it had become a little bit ambiguous to them. And so for some Jews, it meant love other Jews. For some religious leaders, it meant to love people who are holy or righteous. Uh, there was one group of people who, uh, back then who said, you just love whoever you want to love. Now, I was just thinking about this. You know, this is, you know, a couple thousand years ago, but this is the same thing that we experience today. Because what we do today is we just lump people into groups or tribes. Think about some of the things we say. We'll say like, oh, those socialist Democrats or those, you know, right-wing Republicans. And so if I was to say, well, who is your neighbor? You know, we wouldn't necessarily say this out loud, but we think this, my neighbor is anybody who's in my group or my tribe. And so it's easy for us to judge David Gruber here, but the reality is, is that we tend to do the very same thing. Now, once again, as I said, Jesus is just brilliant in how he handles this whole conversation. And what we're going to see is that instead of answering the question, Jesus is actually going to lead him to draw the conclusion for himself. And the way that he is going to do that is he's going to answer the question that the guy should have asked. The question wasn't, who is my neighbor? The question he should have asked is, what does loving my neighbor look like? And in leading him there, he launches into what is one of the most culturally insensitive parables that Jesus ever told. And here's how the parable goes. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And so this path from, from Jerusalem to Jericho is about a 17-mile path of road. In fact, here's a picture of it if you want to see it right here. And it actually dropped an elevation of about 3,000 feet. And so it was a huge, huge drop. And it was, a, it was a barren desert area, and so it was very common for robbers to hide in caves. And then as people were walking by, they, they would rob him. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's painting a very realistic scenario. And then he says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Now those two words, going down, I just want you to kind of file those away because those are really important. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And so Jesus introduces us to the first two characters. There's a priest and a Levite. And both were, were greatly respected in that culture. Both, for the most part, were, were wealthy, well-educated. And this, this, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, probably a very common route that they would take as they went back and forth from home to the temple. But Jesus gives us this very interesting detail. He says, going down. In other words, they are going down from Jerusalem, where they served at the temple, to Jericho, which is their home. In other words, they are actually leaving the temple. It'd be the equivalent of me saying, hey, a pastor and a worship leader, leave church. Now, notice that both of them have the exact same reaction to, to the wounded person that they see on the road. They saw a need, and then they passed by the need. In other words, they, they, they see the wounded guy, and they do nothing with him. And remember, this is just after they leave church. 
I, I kind of equate it to this. Here's what I think about. We've all seen those videos where uh, we've seen someone on the street or a subway and that person's being attacked or robbed and there's people around them and the people that are around them are, are either, they're just, just watching it and they're just standing there or they're ignoring it and they're, or they're videoing it. And here's the thing, this person is being an attacked, and, uh, attacked and robbed and they're doing nothing about it. This is very similar to the scenario that Jesus paints here. Now it's at this point that Jesus wants us to ask this question regarding where we are in the story. Why did these guys, after just coming off a spiritual high with God, why did these guys see the wounded man and they just pass by without even a thought? Many people think that the, the two were afraid that if they touched the guy, if, if he was dead, uh, they would become unclean before God. But Jesus says they were leaving the temple, and so this wouldn't have had an impact on them. Uh, there, there was maybe the thought that, hey, the, this guy was beaten, and maybe the robbers are waiting for them, and so maybe they were afraid. That could have been a thought. There was also this belief back then that bad things happened to bad people. And so the reason why he was attacked and beaten and left for half dead is because maybe he lived a sinful life. But what's interesting is that Jesus never gives us the reason why. He just tells us, that the two saw the guy and they figured out a reason not to get involved. But then our story changes with three words. But a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. And what Jesus did here is something that he would commonly do is he makes the bad guy a good guy. It'd be like this. It'd be like saying, hey, uh, but the Joker or but Thanos, or but the emperor, they came to the rescue. There was no deeper racism than between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were considered half-breeds by Jews because they were partly Jewish and partly something else. And so Jews hated the Samaritans. We call this parable the parable of the Good Samaritan because of the Samaritan, but they never would have said that. You know, they, they, it would, they had this saying back then, and it was, a good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan. It would be like today, us saying, like, uh, the good terrorist, or the good drug cartel leader, or if you're a Packer fan, the good bear quarterback, if there was ever such a thing, you know? It, for them, it would just be, this was beyond offensive for them. But he says, but a Samaritan, and listen to what the Samaritan does. As he traveled, he came where, the man, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now notice the response of the Samaritan. It was, he saw a need. He didn't pass by, he met the need. And we see in Jesus' parable that there are actually two kinds of seeing. That there's the I see but then I pretend not to notice kind of seeing. I, I equate this like in our house when, when I see cat puke, okay, on the floor, Donna will come home later and she'll be like, did you not see the cat puke? And of course I did. And I'd be like, where? I, you know, I didn't even notice, you know? You know, there's that kind of seeing, okay? And then there's the, there's the I see and I see and it moves me to do something about it. And we see that that's the Samaritan. 
and we, we see just how moved the Samaritan is by, by what he sees. Jesus says this, he says, the Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, which means he touched him, which you didn't do back then. Pouring on oil and wine. In other words, it cost him money. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care, care of him. It inconvenienced him. The next day he took out two denaro and gave him to the innkeeper. He paid his medical expenses. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And in, now he took a risk because innkeepers were known for extortion back then. Now, everyone listening to this in the crowd of Jesus, they're going, okay, Jesus, kind of, kind of, kind of a crazy story you're telling. We're still offended about the whole Samaritan thing, you know, but here, here's the thing, Jesus, you still haven't answered the question, who is my neighbor? And what Jesus says to them wasn't just for them. What he said for them was actually for, for me and it was for you. Here's what Jesus says. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? And so what Jesus was doing is he was redefining for them what loving God looks like. Here's how they would have heard the question. Which of the three fully love God by fully loving a stranger as a neighbor? Which of the three treated a stranger as a neighbor. And here's what the lawyer says. Well, the one, he can't even say Samaritan, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, okay, go and do likewise. In other words, I want you, I want you to follow the Samaritan's example and do exactly what he did, because that's what it means to fully love God and to love a neighbor as yourself. Well, what did the Samaritan do? Jesus, the lawyer said, well, he had mercy. What does it mean to have mercy on someone? Well, Jesus defines it. It's we see a need and we meet a need. And if you're a Jesus follower, that's our calling as well. Now, the big question that I think that, that we need to wrestle with is this. Why is it so hard for us to respond with mercy like the Good Samaritan. Why is that so difficult for us? And if we're honest, it's really difficult for us to do. And here's what you need to know. This isn't a guilt question for everyone. Because, you know, we've all been to the fundraisers, okay? And we've seen the TV commercials and we've seen the picture of the starving kids and we've heard their stories and we have felt guilty. Live Big is not our version of that. Because when we're moved by guilt, here's what we tend to do. We see a need, and then we feel guilty about it. And so what we do is we go, okay, I'm gonna give a little money here. I'm gonna give a little time here. And then we feel better about ourselves because we get rid of the guilt. Here's the problem. Anytime we are motivated by guilt, when we're moved by guilt, we don't allow God to do a deep work in our hearts because the goal of guilt is to get rid of the guilt not transformation. And so this isn't a guilt question. This is actually a growth question. Because for most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we do once in a while acts of mercy. I do once in a while acts of mercy. And it, but it's not a lifestyle. But to follow Jesus, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I want this to be a lifestyle for you. And so if we want to truly follow Jesus, not just believe in Jesus, but actually follow what we need to be willing to do is we need to be willing to honest with, our, uh, honest with ourselves with where we're at 
So the Holy Spirit can come in and do a real good work in us to make us into something better. That better is more like Jesus. So why is it so hard for us to respond with mercy? Like the Good Samaritan, why is that a struggle for us? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. But I think there's one that constantly rises to the top, and it's this. Mercy is just overwhelming. Uh, last week, if you were here, I shared some statistics uh, just regarding just some of the, the, the needs in our, in our community surrounding us. And here are some of the stats I, I shared. There are 70,000 households in four cities surrounding our two physical locations. Now, there's more than that, okay, but we just picked four cities. And in those 70,000, 7,000 households, they live in poverty. In other words, one in 10 are living at 26,500 in household income or less. And 20,000 of those households, of the 70, they struggle to provide for the basic needs of food, shelter, and clothing. And so we, you know, 70,000 and seven and 20, I mean, we hear those numbers and they are, they are so overwhelming for us that for many of us, we just think, you know what? I'm gonna respond very little or I'm not gonna do anything because the reality is what good will anything I do help anyone anyways? The needs are too big. And so I wanna teach you the principle that I referred to earlier. And uh, this principle is the principle the Good Samaritan did. And this principle, what I love about it, I think it's gonna open up your heart to see a need and meet a need because it's gonna put into perspective that, that sense of overwhelmingness that we feel half the time. Here, here's the principle. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Rather than focus on the many, because there are many and it's easy to focus on the many, focus on the one. Now this principle actually flies in the face of something we heard nonstop as a kid. And when we would hear it, it just made us mad. You know, think about this. You, you, you're at home, you're a kid, and you saw one cookie was left. And then you went to your mom and you said, hey mom, can, can I have that last cookie? And what did your mom say to you most likely? She said, if you had other siblings and stuff in the house, she said to you, well, if I give it to you, what? Then I got to give one to everyone. And here's what you were thinking. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you were going, no, no. Hey, listen, mom, you know, only you know, and I know. And listen, you don't have to tell anybody. I don't have to tell anybody. It can be our little secret. Now, as a parent, I always love this. When there was like one cookie or one piece of cake left, you know, I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to eat it for myself. And here's what I didn't go. I didn't go, well, you know, I got to give one to Donna, you know. There's just something beautiful something beautiful about being a parent, isn't it? But here's the thing, we kind of grew up with that. And so as a result, we take that idea with us into adulthood. And here's what, our, here's what it turns into for us. It's, well, if I do it for you, I have to do it for everyone. And as a result, we miss out on this beautiful, beautiful principle. Our responsibility is to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone and not allow that feeling of being overwhelmed get us to the place where we go, you know what, because I can't do it for everyone, I don't do it for anyone. Now here's something that, that might surprise you. Jesus did not meet every need around him. 
there was this time where Jesus was in Jerusalem and he's by this pool and this pool was believed that if you went in it, it could actually heal people. So here's how John records Jesus's whole interchange with this. He says this, here a great number, and I want you to try to visualize this, okay? Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And so here's Jesus, all this need, huge number of need going on. And then it says this, one, one, one who was there had been invalid for 38 years. And so Jesus, this is interesting scene. He focuses on this one guy. He says, hey, get up. Guy gets up and then Jesus is gone. And it's kind of like, what, what about all, Jesus, what about all the other needs? We don't know why. He didn't meet those other needs, but here's what we do. He focused on the one. And so because Jesus focused on the one, it shouldn't really surprise us that Jesus then talked about the importance of us focusing on the one. There was this time that Jesus was telling a parable about when he was going to come back again. And he uses two groups of people. He uses sheep and goats. I don't know why he picked those animals, okay? But sheep and goats. And he says the sheep who are going to be on his right, he says, hey, I have, want you to come in to the kingdom I have prepared for you. And then he says, hey, when you were hungry and thirsty and needed visiting and you were in prison, you provided for me. And the sheep, he said, are going to go, what, when, when did we provide for you? And then he says this. He says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the what? One. One. Of the least of these. And we talked last week, least of these just means any person in need. Whatever you did for the least of, I, least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so when we're seeing a need and responding to the need of the one, this is kind of interesting. In a very mystical way, I don't understand it. In a very mystical way, we're not just providing for that need of that person. We are actually providing for Jesus himself. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to have us, I'm going to do a little church participation here, okay? Because I want you to leave with this principle ingrained in your heart. We're going to say this together, okay? And we're going to chop it up a little bit. So we're going to put it on the, on the screen here. And uh, Oak Creek Franklin, need to participate. Let's hear you all the way from here. Okay, I'm going to say a part, and then I want you to say it, and then I'm going to say another part. I want you to say it. Okay, you ready? You going to do this for me? Okay, here you go. I want you to pretend as, you know, that the, the Packers actually beat the Steelers today. They're not going to, but let's just pretend that they do, Okay. All right, here we go. All right. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. One more time. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Great job. All right, here's what we're going to do is we kind of wrap things up and we just kind of move into week two of Live Big. Here's what I want you to do. If you haven't given financially to Live Big, I want to encourage you to be generous. Be generous. We give it all away. You know, it's kind of easy to kind of look at the wish list sort of thing and to go, we have three, 300,000 on our wish list that we are trying to provide for things in our community that can help those in need. It's like, well, I, my, gift, my gift's not going to matter that much. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Here are some ways that you can give on the screen here. Just give however you want. Like I said, you can give all the way through the end of Live Big. Now, today, though, is the serve piece of Live Big. And the biggest opportunity we have to serve is at Winter Wonderfest, where we're going to have over 1,500 kids and their families here. 
And uh, we're gonna get a chance to, for, for most of them, they're in need, they're going, man, Christmas is not a great time of year for, for us, but we get a chance to change that. And so to pull that off, we are gonna need in between seven and 800 people that are gonna be able to serve to make this just a great event to bless all those wonderful families that are gonna be here. And so I wanna encourage you, if you haven't, I wanna encourage you to sign up for ser to serve, just you know, uh, scan the QR code, and uh, there's many different serving options and opportunities for you to do that. If you cannot serve at, at, at the Winter Wonderfest, there's other options that you can have to serve. But listen, you know, we're, we're gonna have 1,500 kids in need here, and here's, there's so many more, but listen, we're gonna do for one what we wish we could do for everyone, and all those other needs, we're just gonna entrust those to God. You see, this is the kind of church that we wanna be because this is who Jesus has called us to be. I wanna close with a story of a one. And this one was a single mom who actually came to Winter Wonderfest last year. Here's her story. So I'm a single mom, got pregnant at 16. I have five children, four different dads. None of these men are in the picture. I first came to the Ridge at, at the Christmas Fest, which is Winter Wonderfest. We really enjoyed it. It allowed me to have fun with my kids and not feel any pressure. That was the only time I had attended there. But then we were in the Morgan Grove fire. And if you don't know where that, that is, that, that is a, an apartment complex that's near our Greenfield location that had a massive fire. That we were in the Morgan Grove fire and people from the Ridge were working with Red Cross at the time and helped us once again. Great job, by the way. I felt like something kept bringing me back. I decided to try a service. Since then, we have been there almost every weekend. I seem to be more happy and same with my kids. They love going. Every day is a struggle doing everything by myself, but I am grateful for what I'm learning and how to apply it to my brokenness. Looking back, I looked at the Christmas event as a way to get a free gift for my kids, but really I got so much more. Thank you. Without the event, you would have just been a building now, I see help and support when I need it the most. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I'm telling you, when that principle begins to take root in your heart, this will keep your heart tender as you see all the different need and stuff going on around us. And this principle will allow you to see things very differently than you do now. You can't meet every need, I can't meet every need, but we can meet the need of the one. And if we do, God will use you and he'll use me and us to make a greater impact than we ever thought possible. Let me pray for us. Father, um, I just thank you for this great story. I, I don't even think we can feel just the tension that the crowd must have felt back then as Jesus was telling this story. But God, what we can feel is we can feel the tension of what does that mean to actually see a need and meet a need for us with all the stuff going on around us and all the voices that tell us why not and we shouldn't and all that stuff. What does that mean for us? God, your calling on us is to, to be the kind of people that are tender towards what you are tender towards. And every person with a need, there's a story. They're made in your image. We can't meet every need, but God, we can do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. So this week, as we go about our week and our days, may we have eyes to see that 
and not worry about what we can't or how much or feeling overwhelmed, but may we have eyes to see the one and then respond accordingly. Father, for Live Big, I would pray that there would be so many ones that we see. And uh, God, there would just be an outpouring of generosity. There would be out, outpouring of, of love and care and concern and compassion for this great community that you've called us to live in and to serve. And so, Father, thank you for this journey. We get to do it together. May you blow us away at what you do. And may we hear more and more stories, beautiful stories like that wonderful mom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rich Community Church's podcast. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to host you at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more about our kids and students' environments, visit us at theridgecc.com. That's theridgecc.com.